You're listening to InkPod, Episode 3, The Big G, Genre Writing. I've enjoyed this, despite the fact that we're going to get in so much trouble for it. (laughs) Just so much trouble. You're listening to InkPod. It's all about the stories. Welcome to InkPod. InkPod is the podcast of the Writers' Alliance of Newfoundland and Labrador, bringing advice, news, and inspiration to current and future writers across the province. In this episode of InkPod, host Andrew Peacock talks with Matt LeDrew about being an author, publisher, and promoter of genre fiction, including sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and the supernatural. Andrew is an author and former veterinarian for the province. Uh-huh. So I have the opportunity this afternoon to talk to Matt LeDrew of uh, Engine Books. Thanks for coming in, Matt. Anytime. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about your history and how you got into the publishing business? Sure. Uh, I got into the publishing business uh, 11 years ago-ish, uh, mostly because I was a writer who wrote um, fiction, genre fiction that wasn't traditionally published in Newfoundland. I saw a niche that uh, that we could slot ourselves into, and that it was a need for writers in the province, uh, like a service that writers in our province didn't really have the option of availing of that I was aware of, and so we created a publishing company to do that, rather than just kind of self-publish, which in a sort of definition, I like anything published through Engine that has the name Matt LeDrew on it is kind of self-published, but in the same way that anything published through Flanker with Gary Cranford's name on it is, in a very loose definition, self-published, but not really. So we decided to uh, start a publishing company so that we could help other writers in the same genre. So you're presently the only genre publisher in the province? Every publisher has dabbled with it. Uh, every publisher, I believe, maybe not Peddler, but... Uh, the three, the three biggins over us, let's say, let's say uh, Breakwater, Flanker, Boulder. Uh, to my knowledge, they each have at least one genre title on their catalog, but yeah, by and large, we're the only genre publisher. Uh, unless, in your broader definition, you call romance a genre, at which point uh, Black Ink has uh, is is also a genre publisher, but they're very, they're not all genre; they're specific to one genre. And how about the rest of Atlantic Canada? What is there for genre publishers? There are a few. There are a few. Uh, there are some in Halifax, for certain. Uh, and uh, I believe there's at least one in PEI, but you'd be hard-pressed to get me to name them. Okay. Uh, only because we don't distribute that far, usually, so it's, it becomes not an issue. So I guess the obvious question is, what does genre publishing mean? Um, That's interesting. An easy definition that will have lots and lots and lots of loopholes in it would be genre fiction is any fiction wherein a element that does not and could not exist in the real world is brought into the story by the author. So... um, so, so that definition wouldn't include most 
regular romance writing then, your definition. And that's not, that's why I say the loopholes kind of thing. Like, that's an easy, broad definition, but then you can get into the nitty gritty. Like, I would consider a lot of romance fiction genre fiction. I would also include a lot of historical fiction genre fiction. So there's, um, there, there's, a, there's loopholes in my definition. There is no great definition of what is and isn't genre fiction, but I find that that's a good place to start and then you can branch out, you know? Would, would you call uh, westerns uh, genre? Now I would. They've kind of become a genre. Um, okay. Yeah. Almost in the same way that uh, a lot of things do. Like, we, we think now of fantasy after J.R.L. Tolkien. We think of the fantasy genre as stuff that's like that. But early fantasy, like Conan the Barbarian... We didn't have a name for what that was. We used to put Conan the Barbarian, back when it was published, under science fiction. Because there wasn't a genre for whatever this weird new thing was. It's not folklore, it's not, you know, sci-fi, what is it? So they just lumped it in with one. So Western's one that, when it started, a lot of genres when they start are just a part of lit fiction. And then eventually it becomes big enough that you can carve out a niche for it. Interesting. Um, is all genre writing fiction? Is it possible to have nonfiction genre? Like I think of local history kind of stories. Could that That's a genre, genre uh, yeah. but it's not what you tend to think of when you say genre. Really, so a, everything a, a, has a genre. So a genre and genre are two different things. Very, very. Yeah. Uh, so when someone says genre fiction... Um, they're not saying, ooh, what genre of fiction is it? Because, for, if, depending on how broad you get, like, lit fiction is a genre, but it's not what you think of when you say genre of fiction. It's almost like big L and small L liberal. Right. It's, right. it's kind of like the big G genre and the little G, G genre. I think that's a good way to, to clarify it. Do you think there's any science fiction or fantasy writing that wouldn't be classified as genre? There's some that they fight on a lot, even the the authors fight it, uh, and it becomes, like, in, in some circles, genre has a negative stigma, so some authors have kind of fought the classification. Um, Margaret Atwood famously, like, does yes. not, is not ple pleased when you say The Handmaid's Tale is genre fiction, and I'm like... I kind of shrug and say, too bad, you wrote a dystopian yeah. future. I, I understand she doesn't even like the term science fiction no. in her work. No. Okay. Well, in fairness, it doesn't. science fiction actually doesn't really fit hers because there's no technology that's... Society's gone to hell in The Handmaid's yeah. Tale, but it's not like there's a, a new technology. It's just the concept of the future that has just gone bad. An interesting idea here. What's your... Uh, comparative uh, definition or, or difference between science fiction and fantasy? What's the difference between the two? Uh, science fiction tends to... They're very broad, and and I waffle back and forth. I'll change my definition of what they are a million times in a week. But science fiction tends to be based on reality, like, a little bit more. Uh, it tends to be forward-looking, like, it tends not to be... Whereas fantasy tends to be either present or past looking. But um, science fiction takes a look at existing technology and says, what if? Like, mm -hmm. 
what if technology keeps going this way and we ha can hack our immune system? What if technology keeps going the same way it does and everyone's judged based on their star rating? Like right. like they've done episodes of Black Mirror like that. Black Mirror is a really good example of good science fiction. Um, whereas like very classical science fiction writers would argue, for instance, that Star Wars isn't science fiction, it's fantasy. Yes. You have knights, you have a princess, and Keeley, you have a supernatural element. Like, they can have all the yes. sci-fi they want, but the second they brought in the Force, yes. the supernatural yep. element, they've regulated it to... So there's mid... They've regulated it to science fiction. So there's these mid-categories sometimes, like a lot of people call Star Wars uh, science fantasy, which is interesting to kind of meld the two. Yeah. But yeah, there aren't... There aren't hard and fast rules, basically. The, the interesting definition that I saw once is somebody described science fiction as what could happen, yep. or what could have happened. Yep. And fantasy is what could not have happened or could not happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. There also tends to be, I mean, nowadays there's examples of both that take place in the present day. You know what I mean? Like, ooh, yes. like science gone awry, but it takes place in the here and now. Yes. yes. Or... Ooh, we've discovered that there's a portal to a world of fairies, but it takes place yes. in the here and now. Right. But classically, science fiction was very, like, forward-looking. Like, ooh, what's going to happen? And fantasy was past-looking and, like, kind of reverent to the medieval times and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. One of the tensions that you often hear when you, when you see publishers talking and writers talking is, is a, a tension between literary and non-literary and genre what what would you what would you call literary publishing what's your, would be your definition of that um stories where they're where i would call lit fiction okay my honest definition <laughs> um my honest definition of lit fiction which is kind of half joking and kind of half snarky i'll preface it with that uh, is that it's a genre of exclusion in the same way that um, lupus is a disease of exclusion. Like, there's no test for some diseases. You look at the symptoms and you say, well, let's test for everything else it could be. Yeah. And when you can't find an answer, you say, well, then it's lupus. You can't test for it. You can test for everything else. Lit fiction, I find, is like, are there, do, do they go to space? No. Okay, it's not science fiction. Do they have elves and fantastical and magic? No, it's not this. So once you've gotten rid of everything else, and the only thing that's left is... Yeah. Yeah. But that's not the real definition. No, no, I, I sometimes, you know, and I don't think that's that's completely silly, that, that kind of answer. I think sometimes... It's a bit flippant. A little, but I think that, that part of what literary uh, fiction is, is doesn't follow rules, which is really kind of saying what you're saying, you know? Yeah. To a sense. But I think there's also an aspect that's... Um, at least literary writers and publishers would tell you that it has to do with quality too. That it has to be what they would call yeah. good writing. Yeah. And then beyond that, it doesn't follow established rules. And I think one of the things that happens with that, that's interesting that you see in a lot of the literary prizes are won by literary fiction, but they don't sell necessarily really well. Yeah. Because things that people know and they're used to and things that follow rules are comfortable to read. Yeah. And stuff that's not comfortable to read, you know, like something like Ulysses. Yeah. It's a literary piece, but that's certainly not for everybody to read. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can, and you can make distinctions either way. Like, I, I find the really, the stuff that does both 
uh, manages to bridge the gap like Handmaid's Tale we talked about sells obviously really well but is also I would call it lit fiction in terms of like the quality standard you're talking about right Flowers for Algernon one of my favorite books is one of those science fiction hardcore science fiction really mm-hmm. but also lit yeah. fiction yeah yeah it's, it's interesting I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Emily St. John Mandel's Station Eleven it's yeah. a dystopian book and it's about these people in the, the near future where most of society's been uh, wiped out and they go around doing Shakespeare and classical music. Yep. So it's it's kind of highbrow in its own way, but there's no getting around that it's science fiction at the same time. And 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 like you're suggesting, I find that stuff the most exciting of of writing when when people are in genre but they're they're not too worried about being too close to the rules. There is, and there's. Uh, I find that there's a there's a distinction made with some genre fiction, like big G genre fiction. Um, like sometimes I'll get you know I'll get people say, well, ninety percent of genre fiction is crap, which is true, but it ignores the fact that ninety percent of all fiction is crap. <laughs> like I hate to tell you, but. And spoken as a publisher. Oh, yeah. No, and we try and find the 10%. Obviously, we think that ours falls into the percent, 10%, but tastes vary. Absolutely. You know? Um, but, my God, like, if I have to read one more story of someone having a midlife crisis in both rural and urban Newfoundland coming from, like, from from our province, I'm like, okay, we've this story's been told. That's or a, story, a generational story of right. growing up, starting from the '40s, and then telling the story of every generation up until present day of a family in Newfoundland. And I'm like, that was a wonderful story when Bernice Morgan did it, but it <laughs> she did a real good job. Stop it. Right. Right. The views of Matt Ledru expressed here are not necessarily the views of the Writers Alliance of Newfoundland and Labrador. You touched on this just briefly before, but I'll ask you the question anyway. Sure. Your answer: Do you see a prejudice against genre writing by writers, agents, publishers, or the reading public? Not the reading public, and not amongst most most authors. Even uh, I don't see it among. There's not really prejudice in publishers, or definitely not with agents. Uh, anything like that. It's a small but vocal, like, there's a small but vocal minority uh, of, uh, don't even know how to qualify, but a small but vocal minority of people that that don't think that, say, a genre writer belongs mm-hmm. in, say, an organization like Wannell, yeah. which I don't feel is the truth. I, I think that, like, Wannell's for writers. If you, Absolutely. If you wanted a... If you wanted an organization that was for, you know, lit fiction, you should have called it Lit Fiction Alliance of right. Newfoundland Labrador. Right. I, I'm and, one of those and people who says... a five. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> and that's the, that's that small percent. But in that, in those people's defense, there is also that same very small percentage on the other side that is very annoyed with lit fiction. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. We can be uh, close-minded no matter what side of the fence we're on. Yeah. 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 Um, it's interesting, you know, I, I've done a little bit of looking through agents, and it's amazing how many of them say not interested in science fiction or fantasy. Yeah. It's very, very common. And I, I think that 
What that has to do with, what I would suggest, is for most people, the reason to get an agent is to get with the majors. Because if you're going with anyone other than the majors, you don't need an agent. Yeah. Those are the only ones that require uh, agents. And the majors generally don't publish that kind of stuff. Well, not only that, but I mean, like, from the other side of it, agents are specialists in the same way that yes. publishers are. Like, I, like, if an agent specializes in um, lit fiction, then, and their inbox is just constantly flooded with people, like, saying, well, check out this science fiction of mine, yes. it's really good. Yes. At some point, they've got to put on their website, no, please stop, it's not going to happen, nothing against you, but I don't do this. This yes. isn't my specialty, yeah. these aren't the contexts that I have. Uh, or sometimes it's a case of, because there is a lot of genre fiction out there, it can be a case of, um, like, for instance, we've, at Engine, have had to turn away now a few very decent fantasy novels, only because in the next three years, we are just stock full of fantasy, but there's still this giant banner that says, like, please bring us your science fiction, right. because we're have an abundance of one and a lack of the other at this exact moment of time. In a few years, that might have flipped, you know? Yeah, yeah. What about uh, awards juries and literary festivals? Do you, do you feel a prejudice against genre in them? Not a conscious one. Uh, I find that um, there can be a certain amount of uh, the same people getting in onto the jury or the same people getting um, to, to select the books or stuff like that, but that it's changing. It's it's slow, but it's changing very well. Um, so there can be a case of, like, um, I'll use you as an example so that I'm not, like, picking on sure. anyone or making up sure. a name, but you're, you're not like this, but, you know. Just, no. <laughs> but, like, so let's say Andrew uh, one year is wants to is a jury for an award uh, a lit award and one of the people that he picks that is shortlisted is renee uh and then the next year they say okay let's reach out to all the people that were shortlisted last year to be jury members and we pick them all and then it's so it's the same right because she wrote fiction that you liked yes and then she got to be the jury member the next time, chances are she likes what she writes, so that means the same type of fiction, even if she's not picking you. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Which usually there's some guarding against. And, and, and you know, there's a, there's a reality, this is, is getting a little bit off this topic, but there's a, there's a reality of that in all kinds of writing, that oh, yeah. nothing succeeds like success. Yeah. If you want to sell a book, get somebody famous to write it. Yeah. That's the best way to guarantee you're going to have sales. It's got yeah, I know. Long. I've uh, I've developed a new marketing strategy. My pen name is Stephen King. It's been working <laughs> wonders. It. No, I'm joking. <laughs> you know the the thing about uh, awards for uh, uh, genre fiction, uh, whether Margaret Atwood likes it or not, a science fiction book won the Booker this year. Did it? <laughs> Testaments. Oh her. yeah, I guess. Yes. Uh, that said, that is an that is an unconscious bias and like yeah. um like uh, a few years ago i i was one of the judges for the there the jury members for the nlbas and there was genre stuff that was put in and just it just happened the stuff i liked wasn't that and sure, i'm a genre sure. writer it happens sometimes well i think when you're when you're chosen for a jury like that it's you should be serious about it oh was, you shouldn't yeah. say my my tribe is going to win and, and i and i didn't and yeah and i'm, I'm sure you wouldn't and as long as that's going on on both sides, that's right. then I'm perfectly happy. That's right. Yeah. Um, 
Another thing I find really interesting about uh, genre is the popularity. You know, we see things like sci-fi on the rock and stuff like that. Yep. And one of the things that this drives... Well, Hellcon in Halifax, 20,000 people came out to that last incredible month. Incredible numbers, eh? Yeah. And one of the things that this drives is fan fiction. Yep. And I wonder, as a genre publisher, do you get submissions from people who you think... And I'm sure this happens to non-genre publishers too, but do you get submissions from people you think, you're not a writer? Not really. Um... Yes and no. I've got I've gotten definitely gotten submissions from things that I say you're not ready for publication right. yet or XYZ. But I, I don't think I'd ever say to someone you're not a writer in that way. Right. But um definitely there's some people who'll submit stuff for that's not ready for publication. And part of that's not even like the ubiquity of stuff like sci fi and the rock or Halcon. Part of it I hate to be the person to throw stones, but part of it is the massive success of something like Fifty Shades of Grey, which very much literally started as yeah. a non-supernatural fan fiction of the Twilight Saga. And she took, under a different pen name, she took the fantasy elements out and said, what if he was a millionaire who was into a bit of kink instead of a vampire, and retold the story... But in the original, it was the same names. Like, it was Edward and Bella. Right. And then when a publisher decided to pick it up, they very quickly went through and just changed all the names. But the text, like, you can go on uh, on Internet Rewind and look and find the pages that have since been deleted. Right. The, the text is un mostly unchanged. <laughs> so I find that more than anything else, it's the success of that that makes people kind of go, well, I wrote this amazing X-Men uh, fan right. fiction that I now think is amazing. Yeah. I'm just going to go through and change the names yes. and then send it into you. Yes. Yeah. And when you bring up Fifty Shades of Grey, I just have to ask you a question that I ask my own editor. Sure. Um, do you consider it success if you published what you felt was a bad book and it sold a lot? Is that success or failure? Neither. <laughs> that is somewhere in the middle. The, the, I have to tell you my, my editor's answer to that. Yeah. As I asked him that, I said, what comes to mind is Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. If you edited Fifty Shades of Grey, would you think you were a successful editor or not? Yeah. You know, because the, the writing is terrible between us. It's not great. <laughs> and, it's, and, it could have used a polish. And he, he said to me, it's funny you ask that one because that was one of ours. Of course, it was Penguin Random House. Funny. And he said that book sold enough copies that the first year that everyone in Random House, from the forklift truck driver to the president, got a $500 bonus at Christmas Yeah, over one book. Which is interesting. And that, that actually brings up a really interesting point in the um, big L lit fiction, big, uh, big G genre fiction divide that, that tends to grind sometimes the genre fit like the ones who are like it, it grinds both sides but so if you've got a big publisher like penguin um did they publish your book yes okay so that was creatures on the rock right yeah yeah so that's a fairly niche title i've read it it's an amazing title that's not a that's not a detriment to it right but creatures on the rock is is kind of niche like it's newfoundlandia it's stuff like that i'm sure it sold well elsewhere because it's a very good book but 
the reason that Penguin had the money to produce that is because of the massive success of stuff that sells really well. That's right. Like, and we're finding this right. now as we grow as a publisher. Yeah. Like, so we're getting experimental now. We want to do stuff like, oh, let's do this, not because we think it's going to sell, but let's do this cool thing that we want to do because we love the art. You know what I mean? It's so nice to be able to do that. Do and do it so for nice. the art's sake. Yes. But the reason we can do it because is because of the success yeah. of let's say name drop one, but Paul Carberry's book, which is Zombies Take Over Newfoundland. I have said this to his face. I sell this as a I say this as a selling point. It is B movie style yeah. like no literary significance genre fiction it is meant to entertain and it succeeds at entertaining but it's not meant to be taken super seriously mm -hmm. and part of the reason that we can now do like experimental artsy stuff is because of the success of that book yeah the president of uh, penguin random house a couple of years ago famously or infamously said they weren't interested in any book that wasn't going to make a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is yeah different world yeah. Paul Carberry's debut novel, Zombies on the Rock Outbreak, was a bestseller in the Zombies, Vampires, and Werewolves category on Amazon Canada. Um, moving along, how important is the ebook market for genre publishing and for, for Engine specifically? Majorly. Uh, it's still the vast majority of our sales, and it's still the vast majority of um how we do outreach because the, the internet's been amazing for stuff like that because it allows a niche title to thrive so if say say only 10 percent of people not even that want to read a gory zombie book to go back to paul's if you're only able to sell to newfoundland then that 10 percent is very small and you're gonna have a hard time making your investment back but if you have the ability to market to the globe, uh, then you you can do all right, you know? That, that changes everything, doesn't it? Changes everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's exciting. Um, half silly question for you. Can, do you. can you tell a genre book by its cover? Not always, but a lot of the time. <laughs> uh, I can tell a non-Penguin, non-HarperCollins um book by its cover mm -hmm. so the smaller the publisher the the more samey the genre mm -hmm. cover will be because mm -hmm. they're consciously like there are a host of covers out there if you go to the genre section that are copying the cassandra clare formula where it's right. like here's a man or woman that you're seeing from the chin down to the waist standing above a cityscape Right. Like that whole, right? Yeah, that right. that look of cover because yeah. those books were incredibly successful, and it that cover design is not something you can copyright. So now we've got right. a ton of those. And it's interesting, you know, to discuss whether that is uh, laziness on the part of uh, the people doing the graphic arts, or whether it's a conscious effort to cash in on that. You know, it's. Uh, to me, it's a little bit of the latter, but in not in a sleazy way. It's a way of mm. saying, this is like that. Like, if your subject matter is like, or your writing style is like that person, then this is an easy, easy visual indicator to say, this is kind of like that. 
you know, like mm-hmm. if Engine put out a book that was very much like Creatures on the Rock, we're not, but if we were, mm-hmm. then we um, would probably like do the same sort of cover you did. Not to copy yes, it, yes. but you know what yeah, I mean? Sure. Like, it's like, yeah. Sure. That's a bad example because that's yeah. copying, not copying a genre, but copying one individual, right. which would be much sleazier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would not do that. Uh, yeah. Wouldn't bother me too much. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, funnily enough, we are debating and we're, we've been like grinding our teeth, uh, like yours, uh, Creatures. What? Okay. So your, what's the name of your book Creatures again? Creatures of the Rock. Creatures of the Rock. Yeah. You have no idea how many people have asked me if that's one of the From the Rock titles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is this the new one? Is this sure. like a horror anthology, like of the different creatures? I'm like, no, this is a story, but please, please read the back cover because no. <laughs> like, when you use the term The Rock, did you get any flack from that at all? Did no. Anybody? No. We based it, uh, the first one was sci-fi From the Rock. And we published it in coordination with Sci-Fi on the Rock, the convention, to celebrate their tenth year. Yeah. Um. So it was right. It was hard to give flack on us because right. the flack would just kind of go to them. Right. And it didn't. And they'd been on the go for quite a while. Due to the continuing pandemic disruption, Sci-Fi on the Rock has been rescheduled to September fourth to sixth, twenty twenty. Tickets are available on SciFiOnTheRock.com. Before we started talking uh, here, Matt and I were discussing a little bit about uh, structure and plot in writing. How important do you think consistent structure is in in genre writing? The example, the extreme of that, that I think is screenwriting. Yeah. You know, when you watch a movie, you know 25% of the way in, within two or three minutes, the problem is going to come. At 50% through, it's going to accelerate and then something new is going to come in at three quarters of the way through. And it's, it's structurally so rigid, and screenwriters all know that. Yeah. Are, are you expecting that, or do you see that out of science fiction and fantasy? Um, no, yes and no. I enjoy, uh, I usually like to write with a pretty rigid uh, hero's journey arc. Right. Um, that one. But I'm aware that you can leave things out of it. Like, it's not necessary to hit every beat. Uh, the original Hero's Journey was 24 points. The revised <laughs> version was uh, 12. Uh, the one I follow is 8. It's been revised again by uh, by Dan Herman, the guy who created Community. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I tend to follow that, but I acknowledge that you can leave out several points. Like, it's okay to leave out point six and point eight if you want to. But, which is to say that, like, I used to just kind of fly by the seat of my pants, and what I found with following a loose structure and knowing when you can experiment with it, um, it, it makes it so that my first draft reads like a third draft, and in the in the the interest of expediency in our in in this world, that that's a benefit to me. Mm. Um, I do find that. How to phrase this so what i like about structure is that it's defined rules of what makes a story for in western culture right. i will specify that like if you like if you try to take the hero's journey and apply it to um any eastern literature it will not work and you'll fail miserably hmm. um so there are different points of view on that different storytelling traditions but uh, anything that came out of this our culture kind of thing tends to follow this in a loose way 
the important thing is to learn it and then learn when and how to bend it. Like cooking. Like once okay. you've got the basics down, then you can experiment. I am by no means... My favorite books of ours, uh, After Dark Vapors by Brad Dunn, is a clear winner for me when it comes to like a genre fiction book with lit merit. But that one does not follow any structure right. whatsoever. But you can always tell when you're reading it that that's intentional. Yes. Like, it's not that Brad doesn't know what structure is. It's yeah. that he it's, knows it and is consciously obfuscating it. Perhaps a bit like Picasso drawing the windmill. You got that, it. That's not the best he can draw a windmill. No. That's how he's consciously decided to do it. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, what, very closely related to this idea of structure is the idea of, of tropes. It gets thrown around all the time. In sure. Writing. And first of all... The, the, Perhaps a, a difficult question for you, but what would you, how would you define trope? What does that mean? Trope, uh, I would define as characteristics that come up again and again and again in certain genres, uh, even in lit fiction, even in anything. So there are science fiction tropes, there are fantasy tropes, there are lit fiction tropes. They don't show up in anything, but they show up in a lot. The problem that occurs in my mind, and this is where some of my fellow genre writers are going to get mad at me in the interview, the problem comes when people attach trope to structure. When they say, well, this thing has to happen, right. or else it's not X genre. Like, there must be a spaceship battle, or else right. it's not science fiction. And when they get mad at you and say, it's not science fiction if you don't do this. Right. Uh, the word trope, I find, shouldn't be a detriment, but it's almost become a bit of a dirty word because it's been attached to structure so much. Yeah. And I, I wonder sometimes, you know, we, we've talked about whether romance is a genre with a capital G or not, but romance is a is a real one for that I, I had a discussion with a romance writer one time about writing workshops and her answer was that uh, romance writers aren't interested in learning how to write they're interested in how to do romance novels the h-a-e as they call it the happily ever after or otherwise h-e-a sorry i can see we get in a lot of trouble if we kept on at this um <laughs> yeah see well the so we have a, a, a romance author on staff at Engine right now uh, named Chelsea B. And I'm, I like her romance very much because every book ends... Spoiler alert! ...poorly. It does not mm. follow mm. the... Which the... Um, the not following the tropes. Yeah, so the... Not following the structure, let's say. Yeah. To not use a, the, the word that can be taken badly. It's yes. not following the traditional structure. Right. And to me, that's when a genre is very interesting. Like, when something comes along that, that says, here's what it is, now let's change one fundamental, one fundamental aspect and say, what if it was different? Right. So, uh, to use a very nerdy, very nerdy uh, example, Watchmen. So, before the comic book Watchmen by Alan Moore, who's a problematic individual, but, you know, it's a good <laughs> book. But uh, before that book, most superhero fiction was people who were good and just and 
truth, justice, in the, in the American way. And there were good stories in there, and I loved them when I was a kid, and I love them now. But they were morally simplistic. And what Alan Moore tried to do was to try to bring moral grayness into it. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's the character of... Um, oh, God. We'll get into a lot of trouble if I go into the moral some of the moral grayness. But what if superheroes were also complete... You know? Right. Um, and stuff like that. And it was an interesting story that changed the medium. Like, people who read Watchmen now are like, why is this anything special? Right. Because... It changed comics. It allowed for moral grayness into that medium. And it's remained there ever since. So, like, now Spider-Man can be morally gray sometimes. Captain America can be morally gray sometimes. Superman. Um, What does frustrate me about some genres, uh, not just romance, but but romance is one of them, science fiction is also one of them, fantasy is also one of them, is that there's a tendency to when an outlier comes, when a something new comes along and says, let's take the genre and play with it and reinvent it and see what makes it tick, to deconstruct the genre. Yes. What the community says is, yeah, but that's not genre. Right, right. Like, you can't right. reinvent something unless you include it. Anything else you'd like to, any other comments on, on genre before we finish up? This has really been enjoyable. I've yeah, no, I've, I've enjoyed this despite the fact that we're going to get in so much trouble for it. <laughs> Just so much trouble. Um, but yeah, no, I, I enjoyed this. Uh, for genre fiction, I think what I'd say as, as a sum up is that just about everything be, don't don't never speak hurt too harshly of it because everything becomes a genre fiction eventually if it becomes popular enough you're like westerns didn't used to be genre fiction right. it used to be just fiction about a certain time period in the american west and it became so popular that it became its own genre Right. And now here we are. Fantasy didn't used to be a separate genre, and then Tolkien right. exploded onto the scene and changed everything, and now you might as well call the fantasy genre Tolkien, but more. Like, because right. there's very little that's not in some way inspired by Tolkien and, and the work he did, love it or leave it. Um, yeah, so, so if there's anyone out there that kind of thinks that they 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 don't like genre fiction uh, and they're a writer listening to this be careful because yes. if whatever you're writing becomes popular like super duper popular to the point where there are imitators you know what i mean like if right. andrew peacock became wrote a book that was so popular like a book about being a veterinarian in newfoundland that was so popular that everyone wrote fiction about being a veterinarian in Newfoundland to the right. point where that was a genre unto itself and people associated Newfoundland with vets the same way they have pre- they associate Texas with cowboys, then all of a sudden you'd become a genre. Great. Thanks very much, Matt. That's I think that's a great way to wrap it up. So be careful what you say about genre. You may end up being there. Yep. Thanks a lot. You too. 
Links to NGEN Books and Matt's author page on Goodreads are on our page for this episode at wannell.ca forward slash podcast. Station 11 and some of the other novels mentioned here are available as audiobooks or ebooks through the Newfoundland Public Library. Thanks for listening to InkPod. If you like the show and want to know more, or like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, please email us at podcast at And if you're a resident of Newfoundland and Labrador, consider becoming a member of the Writers' Alliance, a not-for-profit member-based organization serving the literary arts community since 1987. Check us out at www.wannell.ca. That's www.wannell.ca. You're listening to InkPod. It's all about the stories. Mm-hmm.